about, I started this message and I was thinking I was going to talk about the two trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And uh, I'm still going to get there, but uh, I think I'm going to segue a little bit. Um, I felt the Lord speak to me, especially as I was just sitting before him yesterday, um, that this church family, we're, we're at an inflection point. And uh, an inflection point is a turning point. Typically, you know, things happen along a, you know, a, a, a trajectory, and an inflection is a shift in that traje- trajectory. And I feel like God is, is about to, 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 to bring us into this inflection point, and things are going to begin to shift as a ministry. Uh, as a result, the Lord started saying it's important that you remember who you are. That in the midst of growth, of things that happen, that things that change, that you keep to your core values. And um, with that, I just wanted to uh, sort of reemphasize some of those core values. Turn with me to, to James chapter 1. Beginning of verse 22. The Lord said to me, having begun in the spirit, you're never going to be made perfect in the flesh. Right? He said to me that through the book of Galatians. So it was no private revelation. (laughs) And, um, you know, what I love about the book of Galatians is here's a group of people in the geographical area around Galatia, the church, who begin with great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God's doing amazing things. And then somewhere along the line, they get off track. And Paul actually, like the book of Galatians is a bit of a rebuke. <laughs> and he says, you know, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, having begun in the spirit, are you going to now be made perfect in the flesh? Like, of course not. And then, and he talks about two different gospels in the book of Galatians, right? And he says, if anyone preaches another gospel and what we've been preaching to you, which is the gospel of grace... Um, you know, let them be accursed. I'm sorry, let, let's turn to Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel, this is Paul writing to the church community in the area of Galatia. I marvel at your turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Grace is this amazing empowerment that God gives. I mean, there's so much in grace. It's hard for me to even fully explain it, but it's basically... 
God's free gift of forgiveness and an empowered life to live for him is what grace is all about. Grace is outrageously unfair. It's outrageously unjust, in essence, because I get what I don't deserve. God's favor, his mercy, all the thing, you know, and he took all that I deserved and he, and he nailed it to the cross. He put on his son Jesus every bad thing I've ever said, done, thought, acted out on, and, and, he, and Jesus took all of that on himself and, 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 and suffered brutally. <laughs> And just as one man, through one man, the Bible says sin came on all of us, through one man's righteous act of sacrificial love, we get to step into the fullness of his righteousness. It's outrageous. It's totally outrageous, this gift of grace. And this is the gospel that Paul was preaching. And then he, he's rebuking it. How did you turn so quickly so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ Jesus to some different gospel, which said, well, if you do certain things, you get circumcised, you follow all the laws, you try to be a really good person, you know, then, you know, God will be with you. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is I reckon myself dead to myself and I live unto God. I receive the free gift of his grace. I receive Christ as my Savior because I can't do it on my own. And he comes and lives through me. And this is what's going to carry us to the next level. This living and walking in, this, in the grace of God is what's going to take us to another level in him. Turn with me now back, back to James 1. Beginning at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I want to be honest with you. I, I kind of stumbled over this a little bit at times. The whole doer of the word thing. You know, I was like, okay, I got to do better. Like, I can do things. I'm a doer. <laughs> Give me a list. I'll finish the list. I'll go through it. I'll do it. <laughs> and, um, but me just trying to be good and doing stuff doesn't transform the inside of me. And the Lord highlighted something to me, just a whole different way I started to see this. And it was the second part of this word, this word, which if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he, obser he observes himself, but then he goes away and forgets what kind of man he was. 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. What's the perfect law of liberty? When we look into the word and we see all that Christ has done for us, we're looking into the perfect law of liberty. As we behold him and we look into the eyes of Jesus, we behold him in his word and we start to let the word transform us from the inside, we start to see ourselves as we really are. See, we have a lot of negative self-talk going on in our heads trying to tell us you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, uh, you're not pretty enough, you're not, uh, you know, fill in the blank, all the things we're not, and that plays over and over. But God starts to tell us who, you, who we are. And when we look into the perfect law of liberty, we're looking into a mirror. We're looking at the word like a mirror, and it's reflecting who we are in Christ, not who we were, but who we are. You see, the old man is dead, right? I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live, but not me. It's Christ that lives in me. And when I look in that perfect law of liberty, he, I start to see who he says that I am. And it's when I start to look at the mirror and start to believe what God says about me that there's a transformation that begins to take place on the inside. And I become a different man than I was, than the old man. The old man's dead, and then I allow the, the, the Christ in me, the very hope of glory, to start to arise. When we look into this perfect law of liberty and continue it, continue in it, then we're not just, we don't become forgetful hearers. In other words, I don't read the word and, and see that, oh, God says that I'm a son or a daughter. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay, I'm looking into the law of liberty. I'm saying, wow, God's called me a son. The Bible says that he's poured out the spirit of adoption on me, and I've been adopted into his family. I belong to him. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. So now that I'm looking in the law of liberty... And I start to see who I am, I start to walk a little differently. I don't walk around like I'm a nobody. I walk around, God's my father. I don't walk around in a, in a proud sense of putting other people down. I walk around, but I know that I have, I'm plugged in. That God chose me. I didn't even choose him. He chose me. He separated me to himself. I'm walking on a different level. I know the creator of the universe, and he's my dad. He's got my back. It makes you walk differently. It makes you perceive things differently. When a challenge comes, you have a different framework. You're not an orphan scrambling like, I don't know where my next meal's coming from. I don't know what's going to happen to me next. I know I have a Father in heaven. You start to see that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. It's not my righteousness, it's his. I wear it as a breastplate. You don't wear your own righteousness, you put on his. Why? Because you're dead. You start to walk around. When you look into the law of liberty, you know you're a son or a daughter. 
And you're walking around, not in your own righteousness, but you walk around in his. You know, the prayer of the righteous avails much. So that means your prayer avails much, not because of your works, but because of his righteousness that he put on you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now I'm looking into the law of liberty and I'm starting to see things differently. I'm starting to walk like I'm a son of God. I walk around not like I'm a lowly sinner, but I, I have this breastplate of righteousness that he adorned me with. I know I can do all things through Christ because he gives me the strength. I start to see things differently. And now you become transformed, and now you're able to actually do the stuff that Christ did because you see yourself differently, because you see yourself, you're looking into the mirror of God's word, and you say, wait, that's who I am. This is who he says I am. This is the transforming power of the gospel that you can receive the grace of God and start to walk and live differently, perceive yourself differently, and as a result, everything around you changes because you carry yourself differently. I want to tell you that all of creation is waiting for this manifestation. That all of us would begin to look into the law of liberty, see ourselves rightly, see him rightly, see ourselves rightly, and begin to walk like that. Romans 8.19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. He's waiting for us to fully step into this identity of who we are. God's about to catapult his church into a new realm. I really believe we're in a season of acceleration, not just in our community, but all over the body of Christ, there's an acceleration of what he's doing. And I believe it's important that we get back to this, the gospel of grace, because it's not gonna be about trying harder, working harder. It's gonna be about beholding him, looking into this perfect law of liberty and being transformed from glory to glory, continually into his image. I mean, that's the way it happens. It happens when we allow an encounter on the inside to manifest on the outside. When we, when we look into the perfect law of liberty and allow it to change us, it's be called the beholding and becoming principle. As we behold him, we become like him. As we're walking in, the, in, this, in this grace, you know, and much of the church is still mystified by this idea of grace. They fail to, to live in the richness of it themselves, and they fail to show grace to others. And this is such a key, is freely as we receive grace, we freely give it away. And that's, that's so easy to say. And it's so easy to receive it, but to give it away? <laughs> right? That means, God, you've forgiven me for everything I've done, past, present, and future. You've provided for me. 
but that means you want me to walk like you walked. <laughs> it means just as you forgave me, you want me to walk that way toward others. Many people are still trapped in a performance-based theology that thinks God's love must be earned or deserved. That's just a total lie. God could not love you any more than he already does. He, he, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he sent his son to the cross to die a horrible death to restore you to a place next to him. God's love and grace are gifts for us to receive. We don't deserve them. We're totally undeserving, but we're, we are the undeserving who are the apple of his eye. You know, you, when, I, when I talk about, when we got up, we, we spend extensive time in worship. I, I think we do. You know, we worship for a while and sing to the Lord, and offer up a sacrifice of praise. And it's an offering unto the Lord. It really is an offering unto the Lord. You know, God doesn't need anything. He's totally sufficient in himself. He said to Job, if I were hungry, would I tell you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but he desires your worship. He desires, he's, he's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, right? He, he, he's looking for those, you know, and you, you never have a better opportunity to worship God than we have here on earth because it's in the midst of challenge, it's in the midst of contradiction, it's in the midst of stress and I don't know how this is going to work out, or where, and God, where are you in the midst of this, that you say, I choose to worship you. God, I don't really understand what's going on, but I choose to give you thanks. God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I trust you. It's when in the midst of this, and you only get to do this on earth. You only get to do it in this lifetime, because when we get to heaven, there's none of that. But in this weakness, in this brokenness, in this earth realm, when we're seeing through a glass darkly, we don't, we don't know the end from the beginning, but we trust him who, who is the end and the beginning. And we look at him and we offer up this sacrifice. All of heaven marvels at that. Because they look down and they're like, well, it's easy for us, but look at those guys. grace. When we properly understand the unfairness and injustice of God's grace towards us, it's deeply shocking. It can even be offensive to our human understanding. In the same way that God lavishly and extravagantly pours out grace upon us, upon our lives, he's calling us to learn how to show grace to others by forgiving those who don't deserve it. The great discovery of forgiveness is that through a selfless act, we open ourselves up to a greater outpouring of the blessing of God in our lives. You know, we come 
Most of us have come to the point where we realize we can't do this on our own. God, I need you. I need a Savior. I need Jesus Christ. And we freely receive his, his forgiveness, his grace. And we, and we choose to lay it all down and follow him. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Beginning of verse 22. Scripture says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you're standing praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's a very important principle. Jesus is saying you can have whatever you want when you pray, if you believe. If you believe, but by the way, if you have anything against somebody, you better forgive them because that issue can completely short-circuit your faith. You see, there's two distinct realms we can live in. Depending on the choices we make, we can live in the justice level or we can live in the grace level. They're intrinsically linked and they're in parallel, but they're a complete contrast to one another. Like two sides of the same coin. On one hand, we have law and justice. On the other hand, we have mercy and grace. The grace level. This sums up the whole message of the new covenant. I who am guilty admit my sin and I need a savior. I who am guilty admit my sin and need of a savior. He comes into my life at my invitation and I'm raised to a new level where I don't deserve to be. I move from justice, where I should rightly receive the full penalty for my sin, to grace, where I can walk freely in fellowship with him because of what Jesus has done for me. In the place of grace, the river of God flows through my life. It's a river of blessing, of healing, where the impossible becomes possible. It's the river of the Holy Spirit. We access it by childlike faith. Just believe. Just believe what he said. Wait. All these other things are speaking against it. Believe God. Choose to believe God. Childlike faith. Daddy, I trust you. 
Jeremiah prophesied that God would write a new covenant, one that would exist not on stone tablets that were given to Moses, but that would be written on the hearts of men and women. Under this new covenant, the law would no longer be a straitjacket constraining us about rules and regulations of good behavior. The access of the new covenant would be a changed heart that aligns itself with the values in the heart of God. See, he's going to put a new heart in us and says, God, I just want to walk with you. I want to please you in everything that I do. And our main motivation is just to be near him. God, I want to be near you, wherever you are. I want to be there. And so it's just easy to turn away from anything that would take us away from him. Because our desire is for the, the one who is the desire of the nations. You know, it's interesting. God doesn't spend his, his time trying to be good. He's not constantly wrestling with a, with a carnal nature. And here's, here's, here's some good news. He's inviting us into the same thing. He's put his spirit in us, and he says, just come up higher. You know, don't focus on your sin. Focus on me. Focus on what I want to do in your life and where I'm going. And as you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And all the other things will begin to fall away. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Just putting a bubble in all of the good works and popping it. It, it, it's, it's not of yourselves. It's his grace. If we step into the realm of grace, everything changes. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are actually his workmanship. He's, in other words, he's working inside of us. We're his workmanship. Not our workmanship. I'm not working on myself. I'm allowing Jesus to, to transform me as I look into the perfect law of liberty, as I start to remind myself of who I am in Christ, who I am to him, who he is to me, and he changes me because we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God provides. Provide, prepared beforehand that we should walk in for by grace we've been saved so there are good works we walk in but they manifest out of our lives in our relationship to him when we accept God's gift of grace we're rescued by the great rescuer Jesus our savior we move from being nowhere to an incredibly privileged position in Christ the Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places. He's made us kings and priests. All we have to do is believe. All things are possible to those who believe. God did not require us to climb a mountain, swim an ocean. His grace was freely given to us. So here's the thing. As soon as we begin to talk about the free gift of God's grace in this way, 
the issue of sin and how we handle it soon raises its head. Sin takes many forms, but in every case, the root of it is selfishness. Sin is doing something out of lust, greed, arrogance, usually at someone else's expense. You know, it wounds that person or it just wounds the heart of God. I suspect like me, many of you, we tend to minimize our own sins and sometimes we uh, magnify those that are committed against us. We have a double standard. We want mercy from God and others for all we've done wrong, but we want justice from him when someone else does something to us or someone we love. You know, my wife and I have been listening to a teaching by a friend of ours, Chris Berglund. And uh, he's been doing these podcasts. And he said something. He said, when we stop sinning in word and in thought. Or not, he didn't say that. He, he said, when we stop hurting others with our words and our thoughts, then we'll come into that place of maturity. You know, which reminds me of the scripture in James that said, if any man can bridle his tongue, the same as a perfect or completely mature man. You know, because the tongue is a world of iniquity. That <coughs> out of it comes blessing and cursing, and this ought not to be. But when he said word and thought, is because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, a lot of thoughts crisscross our minds they're not all your thoughts. You know, the accuser of the enemy is throwing fiery darts into your mind, trying to make us think ill of God or think ill of others or think ill of ourselves, right? It's accusations against ourselves, accusations against others, accusations against God. Those thoughts go through your mind. It's important that you begin to look into the law of liberty and know that's not who you are, right? When you start to partner with lies or accusations, you know, then, then we're, we, we've taken our eyes off this perfect law of liberty and we're starting to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, well, I'm not so good. Yeah, he's not so good. Yeah, you know, God, maybe you're not fair. Those are all lies. You're a new creature. That's why we need to look into the law of liberty and remember who we are and remind ourselves of who we are. But sometimes we have this, this double standard of... You know, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I fall short, and, and he, he comes and he gives it. But then the challenge comes is how, how do we stay in the realm of grace in our words and in our thoughts toward others? Now, I'm not saying that, and I'm trying to make this point, that every stray thought that goes through your mind isn't even necessarily yours. But the Bible says to take captive those things where you allow your mind to dwell. <laughs> like just because you had this weird thought, just flush that. But don't stay there when the, the enemy plants this fiery dart of accusation. Do you see how that person just slighted you? And you just like brood on that. Oh, I hate that. That person always does that. You see, that's called agreement. 
when you agree with the accuser about what just happened, and what's the problem? An agreement is a crazy thing, but it's, it's, it has power. Where two agree as touching anything, it'll be done for them. And when we come into agreement with the enemy, we agree with a lie, or we agree with the nature that's not a part of God's nature, and when it, come, it becomes a stronghold in our lives for negativity. But when we agree what God says about us, even if we're not feeling it, God, you said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I agree with that. But I have this problem in front of me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do about it. Stay the course. You know, it's interesting. I've seen this in my own life. God often calls us to do things that are beyond ourselves. And, and the question is, will you agree with him? Will you agree with him and say yes to what he's calling you to do, even though you see all of your limitations and the enemy's throwing every reason at you why you can't do it? Will you agree with God and say yes? I've seen it in my own life so many times, stepping out of faith, believing him, feeling the call and the purpose of God on something, stepping into it being with fear and trembling. But God confirming his word, and, and, it, and it's coming to pass because I, I stepped out in faith agreeing with him. I've counseled with people who I've seen make career switches, you know, take on challenging responsibilities, go back to school, do things, you know, and they call me up, Bill, I don't know if I can do it. This is so hard. Like, you don't know. Like, it's, it's really complicated stuff and blah, blah. I was like, he's called you to do this. He's equipped you to do it. You can do it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> P.S. They're doing great today. They've overcome all of those things. But it's not common, and it's probably a few of you here that think I'm talking about you. Well, pr I probably am, but there's others too. <laughs> because this is common to men. When God calls you to something and you agree with it, it becomes, um, it becomes this place of power that launches you into your destiny because you agree with God. And where to agree is touching anything, it's a place of power. But on the negative side, when you agree with the accusations of the enemy and, and you, you, part, you stay there, it'll be, it'll be a negative drag on where God wants to take you. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Beginning of verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? I'll be generous. How about I do it like seven times? Like <laughs> most people fool me once. Okay, fool me twice. <laughs> but I'll do it seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70, seven, 70 times seven, or seven times, 77 times, whatever it is. <laughs> A lot of times. 
In other words, it goes into infinity. There's no, there's no finish. And then he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like. Every, anytime you read in a scripture, especially in the gospels, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, you should begin to highlight because this is important. Because this is, this is how heaven operates. And our prayer is, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So when I hear the kingdom of heaven is like, I want to know because I want to align my life, the way I think, the what I do, I want to align it with heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who want, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold into slavery to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. Now the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything. But he refused and said, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Then when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now listen to this. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Wow. Now, we know, of course, the servant should have followed the example of the master and forgiven. What's truly shocking is this verse, the debt that was forgiven is suddenly completely reinstated. And the full force of the master's wrath is brought to bear on the unmerciful servant. It's scary. This is a very serious implication when I read that. Can I have mercy for me and justice for you? God, give me mercy. I want justice <laughs> over here. No, no way. We can't, we can, you can have justice or you can have mercy. It's one or the other. You can't choose to have both. You want to live in the justice level? You want just eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Okay. But that means that that's all you get. And we've all fallen short. You know, one of my favorite Broadway shows was Les Mis, Les Miserables. 
I don't know how many have seen it. You could have seen the movie. But uh, who is the inspector? Was it Javert in that? The law is the law. <laughs> and he did not understand mercy. Like, I just saw so many gospel truths in that show. I was it just I was in tears. The uh, the prisoner who uh, you know he stole some bread <coughs> gets thrown in prison the whole bit and and then that he he he's getting harder and harder and then uh, <coughs> there's a, a priest or something that he st he he gets caught stealing from the priest and they 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 bring him back and they say is this the man and he said oh he didn't steal that and he gives him more right. Like, what did Jesus say? If someone compels you to walk a mile, walk two with them. If they take your coat, give them, give them your shirt also. And it's just walking in that level of grace and mercy and not demanding justice. It's, it's craziness to the world. It's craziness even to the church a lot because we've, 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 we've so eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is good. This is evil. And we walk in judgment that we were never meant to walk in. We were never appointed to judge. There's only one righteous judge. Newsflash, it ain't you. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one righteous judge. You know, we have to be like Jesus like Stephen when he was being stoned in the midst of it, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen said, hold this sin not to their charge. On and on. It, it's not going to the place of justice that we demand eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If we want mercy, we have to move to a higher plane of operation. We have to live to a higher standard. Under grace, what happens if someone comes along and puts out my eye? What happens if someone comes along and commits any kind of offense against me in word? What happens? Under grace, nothing. We choose to forgive that person. We leave the issue of justice in God's hands. It's that simple. We don't. It, we say, God, I trust you. You're the only righteous judge. What worries us most about forgiving someone who sins against us? Are they just going to get away with it? If I forgive them, are they just going to get away with it? when we respond out of that place of hurt and offense and we hold it, what we're really demanding is some sort of recompense. It's really revenge. The devil is pleased because he loves living in the law. The law was the greatest gift he ever had. The law led to death and he's all about that. He wants us to live in the place of, of the law and just be in bondage. 
And every time we, rec we receive this outrageous gift of God, this gift of grace, forgiveness of our sins, right standing with God, access to the throne room, being called sons and daughters, and every time we step out of that place and walk into judgment against others, the devil rejoices. Now he's on my, now he's on my field. And he can, he can say, God, you have to reinstate everything. He wants to see that whole, all of the penalty reinstated. But when we stay in a place of grace, we walk in a place that the devil can't even access. You're walking in third heaven realms, seated with Christ Jesus, and the devil's got no access to you or your life. Forgiveness is the absolute center of the Christian life. We simply cannot take forgiveness for ourselves and withhold it from others. Jesus underlines this point at the conclusion of, you know, the model prayer that he gave us. How should we pray? Pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he said, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. This is central to the Christian walk. Freely we receive grace. Freely we have to give it away. You surrender your right to be offended. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. Are you unoffendable? If you're not, maybe you're still alive and not dead. <laughs> In Christ. Right? The Bible says I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You see, when we're dead, we're unoffendable. <laughs> totally unoffendable. See, the problem with living sacrifices, and that's what he called us all to be, you know. We're living sacrifices. The problem is that living sacrifices keep trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> this hurts too much. Got to stay there. Die to yourself. Because of our pride and independence, we think we have enough wisdom to make fair and honest judgments in every situation of life. Let me say that again. Because of our pride and independence, we think we have enough wisdom to make fair and honest judgments in every situation in life. Rather than say, God, I don't know why so-and-so did whatever, but God, forgive them. I hold it not to their account. Bless them, God. <coughs> Instead of saying, oh, I know why they did that. 
They always do that. <laughs> so here's the challenge, though, and this is where I was challenged by my friend Chris Berglund. You know, if we stop hurting people in our words and our thoughts, like how many thoughts do we allow? And when I say thoughts, I mean the things that you ponder, right? Not the stray thoughts because, listen, the enemy's throwing fiery darts at your mind. I get that. But it's where do you allow your mind to park? Where do you stay? What do you meditate on? Do you go home meditating like, I can't believe this person didn't invite me to their party? And <coughs> Silly, but it's those, those things go on. You know, or, 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 or whatever it is. Where do you, you know, instead of saying, God, just I release grace, cover them in mercy, forgiveness, and don't allow your mind to park there. I say all this because I really do believe we're moving to a new level as a, as a family of believers in this community. I believe God is raising the water level of his Holy Spirit activity across the city. We've been moving in a certain level of whatever, hiddenness, and, and God's here. But I think things are going are to go, it's going to come off the charts. I think things are going to go off the charts. And, and that could be exciting, but really, you know, you're actually challenged more in your prosperity or the praise you receive. I mean, it, sa it says in, in Proverbs that, you know, a man's character is tested by the praise he receives. I always say, what? Like, that sounds weird to me. Like, I always thought you're tested when people are coming against you and challenging you and, you know. I mean, I think it's easy to be humble in those circumstances. Like, oh, you know, kind of. But when all of a sudden the praise and, uh, you know, you guys are great, <coughs> all this stuff keeps coming, it's so e it, it, that can actually turn your heart easier than the pressure. That can turn your heart easier than the pressure. And so God is saying, as, as I begin to pour out my spirit on you, and across the church, I, I really believe it's going to happen across the church. I don't want to say, like, we're, we're just his, and it's his grace, right? That's what we're talking about. Not because we've worked at something or whatever. It's just it's part of his end-time plan to beautify his bride and make us without spot or wrinkle and bring us up and to demonstrate Christ to the world it's his grace, not because we've done something special. <coughs> so it's, it's not deserved, so we've got to, like, remove the pride. But as those things start to happen, and you see it throughout history, if you study even revivals and, and great men used of God, sometimes what can kill a revival is, like, people starting to think that they did something or that they're s sort of special. I mean, you're special to God. We're the apple of his eye because he chose us. But that's the whole body of Christ. And, and we want to be humbled in the fact that, God, I know how weak and broken this vessel is. Thank you that you chose to, to do this anyway. And that's his grace. And he does choose to do that. But when you start to have a level of success... And I've seen this even in my personal life where I've had to, like, check my heart. Like, you start to experience success and you start to 
Think more highly of yourself than you ought to think your, of yourself. And God has a way of bringing you around and, and praise God for the chastisement of the Holy Spirit. It's called correction. You know, no correction at the moment seems pleasant, but it serves to bring you to maturity. And uh, God wants us to, so when he said, you don't forget who you are. And who we are was this weak company of people who just wanted to come together and praise the Lord and just create a, a resting place for his habitation. Just, you know, when we started, some of you heard that the pastor in the church that I came out of said, you know, people go to the land, said, churches die there. I said, well, we're not going necessarily to plant the church. We're just going to praise. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus and see what he wants to do. So we had a different motivation of our heart. And it was just to, to priest before the Lord. You know, you, we're called to be kings and priests. But what is a priest? A priest ministers to God on behalf of the people. And that's what we do. We priest before the Lord. Like our Friday services are not, it's not like what great preacher is coming in to, sh to drop this amazing word that just blesses our heart. Our Friday services is we're worshiping the Lord. We're praying, God, your will be done here in New York City as it is in heaven. Like, come. We're not, like, there's no, like, ministry back to us. Does that make any sense? Like, you don't come, like, we get blessed. Like, there's, it's, it, it's almost, um, it's not the main purpose. Like, we come, we don't come to get blessed. We end up being blessed. It, it, that's just how it is. We come to bless the Lord. We come to lift up his name, to worship him, to give him the praise and honor due his name. It's a sacrifice sometimes on Fridays. I mean, I, you know, I know myself, and I'm sure most of you, you come in on Fridays, you had a long week at work, and things were going on, and you're stressed, and you come in here, and sometimes I don't want to just worship. Let, let me go in the corner over there, and I'll soak. I want to tell you something. Soaking's okay, but I'll if you just come in to go soak in the corner, you're selfish. I want to be honest with you. God, just bless me. I just want to feel. Give me the cakes and raisins of Sol Song of Solomon. Feed me with grapes. This is great. But there's something higher. There's something higher. There's something that says, God, I want to bless your heart. I want to partner with what's on your heart. I want to worship you. And out of that place of worship, that place of intimacy, tell me your secrets, what you yearn for, what you want to see on the earth. And I want to partner my prayers with yours. I want your will done, not mine. And everything changes. Everything changes. And that's when you truly co-labor with the Lord. So as we move forward into this next season, it's, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. I'm going to bring this to an end here. There's more. There's always more. That's the good thing about God. There's always more. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.
So as I'm sharing about this grace that's available to all of us, I just want to There may be some people in here who you really, you don't get this grace thing, the forgiveness thing, that God actually wants to come in your li- into your life and forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, past, present, even the ones in the future, that he wants to give you a whole new life. If you're willing today just to admit what's obvious to all of us, to you, to everyone, to me, in my own life, that I'm guilty. I have fallen short. I've fallen short of of, of the glory of God. I've fallen short of even who I wanted to be. In my own life, I've fallen short. If you're willing to admit that and that you need a Savior, Jesus Christ, He's standing at the door of your heart. And He's saying, Come to me, all you. who are burdened and heavy laden and he wants to give you rest. He wants to take you out of that place from where you're trying and things aren't working well. And If you want to walk in newness of life, if you want to receive the grace of God and just know what it means to have a relationship with God and that all your striving and everything else can You can lay it down. I just want to invite you to come forward. Because we're all in need of a Savior. And Jesus freely took everything. He freely took your sin your failures, your shortcomings. He took it on himself on the cross. And just as because of one man's sin, Adam's sin came on the whole world, because of one man's righteousness, you can receive the righteousness that God has for you. So if, if that minute is ministering to you, I want you to come up to the front, and there's going to be people here that want to pray with you.